It's your Kali. What's up? Hey, y'all. What's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. Hey y'all, what's poppin'? Remember that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali in Little Village. My name is Emanuel. I'm Andrea. And we are two of your many amazing hosts today on our show, Culture Across Borders. Hey, hey, hey. So, Andrea, please tell me, what is today's two-hour special amazing show consist of? So, basically, we're going to be talking about immigration. Um, And so, all about immigration, we're going to be talking about um, the effects of immigration, um, the politics surrounding, like, immigrants, um, things going on right now in our day-to-day world. So, you'll be hearing a lot about culture, politics, everything that relates to immigration, you'll probably hear it. All that good stuff. And we also have special interviews with special amazing people in the community we have other audio pieces talking with local people talking about personal stories so you're gonna hear all that and a bag of chips and some more all on today's amazing two-hour special of what's up so stay tuned but now we're gonna get into a little conversation isn't that right andrea yeah that's right um so we're gonna be bringing in two people to come and talk about immigration so we're gonna be talking a little bit about what it means to be an immigrant um they're gonna tell us a little bit more about like their thoughts and this is Cynthia and Adrian so Cynthia and Adrian I introduced y'all but if you want to say a little bit more (laughs) feel free Um, hello everybody my name is Cynthia and hi I'm Adrian cool so we wanted to talk a little bit more about the terms that we use like around like surrounding immigration so for example there in general like the idea of like immigrants right now has been circulating like everywhere maybe we wanted to talk about the ways that we define immigration and define um immigrants and then what it means to be an immigrant in like I guess, like, y'all's opinion. So I don't know who wants to start, but feel free to jump in. I guess I could start. For starters, I know one of the big things, especially right now, is to not not identify an undocumented person as an alien. Like, yeah, it's the proper term that I believe is used, like, with politics and all of that, but it's not that great when you're calling someone an alien. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that should be used. Yeah, I think in general, like... It's really funny because I actually think that the U.S., if they were aliens, they would probably care more about them than, like, anyone else. Um, Like, if they were to go up in space, like, they'd they'd be, like, you know, like, respected and cared for. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, like, that term needs to be abolished. I don't think it should be used in the system. A lot of different research, like, papers, like, have been talking about the, like, not using that word and also using the... 
um, like I don't even I don't want to say it, but like basically like the term like illegal because like people aren't illegal. The actions that they might commit, they might be breaking the law in like some respects, but crossing the border is not like a, a cause for you to say that someone is illegal. Like a person cannot be illegal. Like think about it this way: drugs are illegal, right? So when we talk about drugs, when we say the word like when if someone does a drug. They're obviously like breaking the law, right? Like they broke the law. Like you're not supposed to be doing drugs, all that sort of stuff. Does that make that person illegal? No, I, I get what you're saying. It's like what they did is illegal, not the actual person themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So then, like, it's funny to me, or I guess it's like pretty. It's dehumanizing when we use those type of words and makes it so that the people like don't actually have like. A personality beyond like their illegality quote unquote mm. and i even feel disgusting saying that because like it's just like a really bad it's just like an ugly word to like use to anyone and it's not to, it's like also like grammatically incorrect i've heard so like it just doesn't make any sense to call anyone illegal you know mm. so yeah and another term like what are some other terms that like y'all were thinking of as well well i guess like wetback like when people call people wetbacks i don't know it just I don't even know, honestly, like, where the word came from. Oh, I think that one is more so the action of um, swimming across the Rio Grande. Like, obviously, your back is wet because you've been swimming. So I, I, I'm pretty sure this word, this phrase isn't used as much anymore as it was before. I know before it was used more commonly, but, I mean, I'm sure anyone could still use it or think they still have the right to use it against others. Yeah, I don't like that word it's uh it, again it's like it works in the same type of way it's dehumanizing um so like i for example like prefer to use like the word like undocumented um or like immigrant so yeah those are a couple a couple words i don't know do y'all know of any more no i i think for me i also prefer using undocumented mm-hmm. adrian i think it's like yeah it's safe to use like immigrant or undocumented mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think I also, like, um, have heard of the word, like, unauthorized. So, like, like I've heard that term, like, being used, but I haven't seen, like, too many people taking it up and, like, using it in their, like, well, ca- common, like, day vocabulary. Yeah. So, our continuing the discussion, we wanted to talk a little bit more about what it means to be an immigrant. And I know, like, both of y'all, like, personally, so I know, like, you personally aren't immigrants, but coming from, like, immigrant backgrounds, I guess, like, a lot of people in this community are coming from immigrant backgrounds, so maybe we can we can talk a, a little bit more about what what that means. I guess they come from like other countries just to try and support themselves and those in their lives. Um, that's a majority of the people that I've seen. They're like they come to the country, they try to support their families, and they want to you know give their children and themselves better lives. Yeah, I see. I also agree that that's like definitely, definitely the case. And so right now we're going to be listening to an audio piece by Sebastian. And we'll be right back. Yeah, we'll be right back. Immigration, according to the Google definition, is the action of coming to live permanently in a foreign country. Throughout history, we have seen the movement of people from one civilization or race move from one place to another. We have seen it with the Anglo-Saxon invasion to the British Isles, We have seen the same thing just like when the English and other European groups migrated to the Americas. Immigration is an important part of history because it shows a clash of cultures, the unification of cultures, and other things. Anyway, I went through the streets of Little Village to go around and see what people thought about immigration nowadays. 
nombre es Patricia. Las buenas cosas es que pues vienes a este país y, y pues buscas trabajo y, o sea, trabajas, ¿verdad? Eso es lo bueno de venir aquí y solo hay otras oportunidades, nomás que a veces no las aprovechamos, pero tiene muchas oportunidades el país para progresar. ¿Qué son las malas cosas que trae la inmigración? Bueno, las malas cosas que trae la inmigración es la... Pues cuando vienes a este país, no conoces el idioma, la gente te ve diferente, te tratan diferente a otras personas. Oh, uh, hello. Um, I'm here with uh, Antonio. What are the good things about immigration? I mean, I guess it just depends on the country where people are. I mean, I guess if people were to go to another country, they would, you know, probably benefit that country because of... Um, jobs and that kind of benefits the economy. And what about Trump's wall? Bueno, pues más bien yo pienso que no debería de haber muros, que toda la gente debería de estar libre. Es como Pues yo pienso que no es bueno, pero cada país defiende su punto. Oh, hello, I'm here with uh Steve. Uh, I don't I'm not for it. I don't think you shouldn't have the wall, you know. We already have we already have enough problems as it is in the build a wall. We should be uh, working on some other problems. I don't think we should put our own money. She put it on other things too. She put it on others. As I say, we got a lot of problems, so she put it on other things. All right. So this is our money anyway. So. Yeah. Like, what do you think we should put it on? Um, more work for the people. Uh, better housing. You know. Uh, just help in general. Just help our our people. Uh -huh. I mean, help helpful, useful ways. These deporting people, they have families, and that's not right. You know. He should, be, he should be dealing with other people that need to be deported, not not innocent people. I guess in a way it's kind of wrong because you're deporting all, you might be deporting, you know, all the good people. But then, like, at the same time, you know, if it's like, like, if it's criminals, then, you know, by all means, take them away because I don't really want that in my neighborhood. I want a better community. just don't want, you know, to uh, crash, you know what I'm saying? Nearly 180,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records ordered deported from our country are tonight roaming free most of the people that i interviewed had a lot in common they thought that what trump was doing with the ice raids was not good because they thought that it was a bad idea to tear up families that are working to help themselves and their families i agree with that idea because i believe that those that are hardworking and are trying to make some bread should not be separated another thing that was also agreeable was with most of the interviewed people thought that Trump should not really waste time making a wall and paying lots of money for it because it's not worth it and how it should be used to help pay for other things that are more important, for example, housing, education, and health. What I want to say on my part is that I do agree at some point with what the people that I interviewed said because they feel that in a way Trump isn't doing that good as a president and that migrants have had a hard time being in the U.S. due to discrimination and other things. We're back and we're here with Andrea, Sebastian, Jennifer, and Cynthia. Hello, everybody. So we wanted to take this time to have a conversation a little bit. And it deals with about Sebastian's piece, now that we have him here. We can all kind of have a conversation about ICE, the wall, raids, 
birth rights, current events. So I don't know if anyone wants to get started on like any one of these topics and anything that like you feel compelled or passionate about. I think we should start like with the wall since that's kind of what the audio piece just touched on. Um, I know a lot of people were talking about how the money that the president wants to use for the wall should go to something else. And I mean, I totally agree with that. I think there's definitely pros and cons with the wall. Like other countries have built walls and it's worked, but I mean, the con of it is the money, the labor, the wildlife. And I mean, there's a wall now and why kind of build another one? What wall? What countries have built walls that have worked? I do not. Israel, Israel, I believe, has, has a wall, but they have a wall for a reason because they're, uh, you know, they're kind of scared that the Palestinians are going to come and blow them up and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've heard mixed like reviews about like Israel, like as a country, just because it's like the history there is like kind of complicated, and we don't have to get into that. We can have that at a different point. But that's very interesting. The um, stereotypes that we have about people and like where we think it like works and all. What about in like the U.S. Like what? Like I don't know. I guess like Sebastian, are you like what are your sentiments towards the wall? To be honest, I kind of like I kind of think that like we shouldn't have a wall, but at the same time, like. I think we should because like if you see like the current border in Mexico and the US like there's a lot of parts that are still like open and people still go through those opening like spaces so I think those parts should be covered because um to be honest like we got to be honest here uh not everyone from Mexico comes here like to you know to you know think about oh the American dream and all that some people also come here like to you know distribute drugs and all that kind of stuff like i've read like books about this kind of stuff and like like there's a bunch of cartels you know how mexico has a bunch of cartels they send a bunch of people over here like through the te- uh, u.s uh, mexican border and all that and they end up like you know bringing drugs over here like cocaine and all that kind of stuff like these hard drugs like heroin have you heard of the supply and demand oh uh, no so supply and demand is basically like when there is a demand for a certain item there is increased value in participating in that market. So basically what this means is that with an increased desire for drugs of any sort, there is an increase, um, I guess you could call it, like increased desire to participate in that, to, to create those drugs because you can make profit off of that. Like It's more beneficial. Yeah, it's, so it's like more beneficial for people to be part of like, making drugs because they're profiting off of it and as we know like money like rules like the world um and i would say that like a lot of the consumers tend to be from the united states so like a lot of the people that are coming from like mexico to like do drugs or distribute drugs it's because there's a consumer good in the united states that's why like there's been like more motions to like legalize certain drugs in the united states so then there wouldn't be um as much like drug trafficking um, that's not to say, like, obviously that, like, drugs are, like, the drug movement is, like, justified, but I guess that's, like, a way of understanding it is, like, if there wasn't some demand from the United States to, you know, bring in the drugs, then there wouldn't be as much, like, of that happening. Well, I, like, from, like, what I've seen and what I've, like, heard, because, like, Mexico doesn't have, like, as much of, like, a drug substance, like, abuse, like, issue. I know there's a lot with, like, alcohol there, but it's it's different. There's not a lot of, like, substance abuse when it comes to drugs. That's mostly, like, outsourced to, like, different countries. So, like, I wonder then when we're, like, having these conversations, like, 
if we're taking into account the like different ideas of like okay well like it's mostly like a certain demographic that can afford the drug that is like making it so like people feel compelled to sell the drug and create the drug and yeah and then maybe, maybe we can even cross the border right like and like look into mexico's like w ways of living because i know in mexico like it's there's not a, as much like social mobility and like people can't like be move like up the social ladder like or economic ladder as easy so i know that there's more incentive for people to be part of like this drug trade because it's the one that's like they're making the most money from and a lot of people in mexico have been like you know within the country and the way that it's run people don't have access to like as good education and such so like i feel like it's like so many layers to like the situation yeah. that are just like added like there's like different things that tie to different things so I don't know if other people got any thoughts about that. There's a lot of corruption in Mexico as well. Right. Yeah. What about, like, birth rights? You mean, like... Like, uh, if someone comes to the United States and has a child here, the child is automatically a U.S. citizen, and they have rights. Well, one the, being the right to vote, and two, I mean, they're automatically granted citizenship, which other people come to this country to try and get. So, like, how do you guys feel about... Because recently, Trump has also said that he would like to get rid of birth rights, but many politicians say that would be impossible because it, um, the 14th Amendment was placed in the late 1800s, making it like you're taking away an amendment that has been there for over, what, 200 years now? Like, I, I personally believe, like, you should allow people to keep their birth rights. I don't think that they should be taken away. You could also have, like, dual citizenship, so, like, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it just doesn't make any sense when you're, like, on, like, a, a place where it's, like, mostly like almost all like unless they're indigenous like to this land it's like then technically you wouldn't be a quote-unquote like citizenship and i know like there's laws established and governments like that were created afterwards and we abide by those rules or whatever but i also think it's kind of r ridiculous frankly like to then do that i i don't know i have i guess like very maybe like far-fetched ideas of the way that like this country should be run like having no borders or like having um, no citizenship because who can really tell you like whether you have a right to roam this land if you really fundamentally like just close your eyes and imagine just like a life like just how restricted it is by like society and like rules and such so I don't know if other people have thoughts on that. So the thing with birth rights to me is that obviously these parents come here right and they have children but nobody really talks about how the child didn't have any say in this mm -hmm. you know so to take it you know, to to want to take it away from them, they didn't even, like, get to decide if they wanted it or not to begin with. Yeah. But I also think, that, like, the parents' circumstances and the, where they were born, they didn't get to decide that they were going to be born. Like, no one gets to decide where they're going to be born to what family and what circumstances. So I think that oftentimes that's, like, the argument for, like, oh, yeah, the kids weren't at fault, so, like, let's make sure that, like, they get citizenship. But then it's also remembering that in doing so, we also kind of criminalize the parents and make it like, oh, it was their parents who brought them here. And like, it's like their fault. It's not their fault. It's the parents fault kind of like that. And so I just like worry about like when we say these things or when we talk about birthrights, like if the parents are going to be treated as criminals. Oh, what about like ICE and the, the current raids going on? Um, I know recently, yesterday or the day before, it was announced that there was a raid in Mississippi, I believe. Um, about 600 workers were collected from a factory, and it was also the first day of school in Mississippi. Therefore, a lot of children came home, and their parents were missing, like, together, or they were missing a parent. Um, there's a little girl on 
um, a video that's been going around, and she says, like, I miss my dad. Like, mm -hmm. she came home from school, and her dad was no longer there. Um, the Also, like, about two weeks ago, the possible raids here in Little Village. So I don't know how you guys, like, feel about that. I think that, I think personally, like, it's kind of, like, you know, it's kind of screwed up and all that. But, like, at the same time, like, we can't really, like, nobody could really do anything about it. I mean, ICE is part of the government, and, you know, it's going to happen. And it's, like, sad, but people can't really stop it. Well, ICE was also, like, created fairly recently, no? Like, if we're thinking relative to, like, our lifetime, like, ICE didn't exist, like, before I was born. ICE didn't exist when y'all were born, probably. And, like, um, it was created in 2002, I believe, after the World Trade Center, 9-11. And we lived in a world before when there wasn't ICE. And I don't know, I guess, like, I, I can imagine a world where... ICE doesn't exist afterwards you know like if we created it like just like you create anything something that we originally in our heads like think like this is this is so normal like ICE is like normal we, we there's no way to change it I think that we should we can reframe like that mentality and I think that we can imagine a world where ICE just doesn't exist at all like if it was created it could be decreated <laughs> uncreated what do you think like what do you think that ICE should like you think ICE should not exist or like what well, we lived in a in a world at some point where like it didn't exist, and it was a fairly it's fairly recent. Like Homeland Security was just like um, created. So like I I can imagine a world where it doesn't exist, and like we can think of like better ways my, of like. My question is: things. Do you think it's good? No. All right, because like I mean, in my opinion, like I have mixed feelings with ICE. I mean, in a certain way, I think ICE does kind of like do its job because there's some people like i've said this before there's some people here who come and do things that aren't legal and like those people should be dealt with there's like it's just that's that's the way i think of it because you know people like a bunch of people from third world countries in latin america bring like all these type of drugs and all that kind of stuff and it's coming and flooding into this country and like they stay here and then they end up doing all this kind of stuff and it affects people in the country so I think I should deport those type of people, in my opinion, because yeah. they're not really helping the country out. They're yeah, not, I mean, yeah. I, I agree on the part that, like, if someone is doing something bad and, you know, a criminal, like, a plain-out criminal is here, that's the time that I do believe, like, authorities should step in. Like, you're not, you're, you're not helping the country. Like, you're here, but you're, you're doing crimes, the same thing you would do in your country. So, like, wh why are you here if the only reason you're here is to, to do bad? Hmm. I think mm, when it comes to that, it's also, like, keeping in mind, like, the way that, like, historically, a lot of these people have also been, like, like put into situations where, like, for them, that's, like, their only out is, like, yeah. selling drugs and, like, doing that type of, type of stuff. Not to excuse it, right? Like, we don't want to excuse someone that, like, does these kinds of things if like they're harming communities but at the same time like thinking about the context i think is really important and thinking about the histories are, is really important um so I, I can see that like obviously i think that we're talking about this right now but even within like if you think of like the grand scheme of like like our communities like the latino community you don't i well i don't know like i i think that there's 
people that are doing also like worse things. You know, like I don't think it's just like people that are coming in from Mexico, Central America, South America that are doing bad things. Like I think, for example, people that are running like these big corporations hoarding all this money and like capitalizing on people, making sure that like, that they're not getting paid enough, like like not paying like people that are doing labor. Like those are people that tend to be of like richer like means and like that's also something that we should think about. But we don't think about these kinds of things and like I don't know. Like, I, I guess I, like... Wait, so you think that, how do you say it, uh, people from Latin America and all that aren't really, like, also, like, you know, a factor in the crime in the United States or something like that? That's what you're trying to say? I think that we should understand the context of everything and understand, like, the U.S.'s involvement in, like, certain Latin American countries and creating different coups to take over different presidential candidates. I think that we should be conscious of the fact that um, in certain Latin American countries, there has been destabilization because of the United States. And the U.S. has been part of, like, coup has been part of, like, taking over countries, like, entire economies. I mean, like, if we look at Ecuador, the currency that they use is U.S. currency. So, like, thinking about, like, the ways in which, like, the U.S. has been using um, Latin America, Mexico, if we think about things like, for example, the Bracero program, you could see, like, the way that the U.S. has used certain, like, people only for their labor and then when it wasn't necessary they were deemed like people that were outsiders and quote-unquote like illegal unwanted so i think the u.s has a lot of involvement in the destabilization of latin america and a lot of the people that are immigrating you don't see a lot of people immigrating from like places like costa rica and that's a country that has a really good relationship with the united states but countries like el salvador where a lot of people from la um, that were in prison were like brought back over and deported to like El Salvador, destabilized that country. The U.S. like trained people in the Salvadoran civil war, completely messing up that country, causing a lot of trauma and turmoil. So I think that when we talk about the countries that are immigrating the most from these places, we need to think about the U.S.'s involvement in these countries and destabilizing them because we can't just be like, oh, these people are coming out of here um, and like bringing all this and that without thinking about the U.S.'s hand in a lot of this. And this is not to say that like, oh, yeah, we, we obviously should excuse people like we should like, you know, lend them like, you know, just excuse like their actions because the U.S. is at fault. But it's like trying to understand that like the U.S. is not just this equalizer or this level equal like level playing field it is like ongoing colonial history it is ongoing like traumatic like history and um conquest in like all these different latin american countries so that is like my opinion of it i think that if we're going to have a a comprehensive conversation about immigration that we should also have a comprehensive comprehensive conversation about u.s's involvement in latin yeah, america I, mean, I agree with that as well but you know what's kind of you know, i mean in, the, in a way uh it's kind of sad that like that's happened in countries like el salvador and all that but what's also sad is that, how do you say it, the United States goes into those countries and all that, they end up, mm. like, you know, corrupting, like, other politicians in those countries. And what's sad is that those people from those countries don't end up giving, like, a about their own people. So it's kind of sad, in a way, because, I mean, it sort of goes both ways, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think a lot of that is, like, influenced by, like, outside factors, no? Yeah, outside factors, yeah, I know what you're trying to say, but it's also sad that uh, those politicians that are in power and all that, they end up getting corrupt by, like, U.S., like, intelligence and all that stuff like they kind of end up not giving like like about their own people you know and it's kind of sad that Wait, just basically yeah. shows the lack of morality that they have mm -hmm. they don't really care about their own people as well yeah and i think it's all moved my money right like everything's moved by money in this world yeah it is yeah so i mean that was kind of like a conversation touching on a variety of things remember that you're listening to culture across borders and we'll be right back
Hey guys, remember you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Sudo Y, Yolo Kali, and Little Village. Um, we're back here and we're here with Jennifer. Would you like to introduce your audio piece? Yeah, I had the opportunity to talk to an organizer at OCAD, and basically why I wanted to do it is to inform everybody on how you have resources. Um, there's people here to help you, you're not alone. And. Do you know what Okada means? No? Well, let's listen to this conversation with Miguel Lopez. Hello, my name is Miguel Lopez. I live here in Little Village, but I grew up in back of the yards. I work with Okada, I'm, I'm a community organizer. I grew up, when I came from Mexico, I grew up in Gage Park neighborhood, and I, been, I live now in Little Village. I've been living here for a few years. What OCAD does for the community is, I would say, mainly it reinstalls the faith um, in the community that we are the ones that have the power to change things. Mm -hmm. And you, going into details of how that comes to be a thing, OCAD is an organization, an uh, intergenerational organization that um, fights against deportations. We believe uh, one of our values is that no, no one is disposable. So we believe everyone is worth fighting for. And so what we do is we fight against deportations from an individual basis, but also tying those individual cases to bigger problems and bigger campaigns, like the gang database or like the welcoming city ordinance and stuff like that, um, that I can explain further in the coming questions. What drives me to be part of OCAD, we don't divide our community or immigrant community between those who deserve and those who don't. And that's something that I really appreciate of OCAD, that we that we um, we know that everyone's worth fighting for and we're here to do that, right? So I've been with them since then for that's one of the one of the main reasons that I've been with them. Being an immigrant, what that means to me here in the US is realizing that the stakes are against you, that realizing that this form of economy, form of system that we live in uh, was originally designed to keep us, you know, at the bottom, uh, to keep us at a disadvantage. Um, that's what it has meant to me. For me, being an immigrant in this country has helped me to open to realizing that we are the ones like that need to fight for our own rights and we are the ones that need to defend our community. And we ourselves are the ones that need to define what security looks like in our communities. And um, to the question of why would one leave their country to come to the U.S.? I mean, everybody lives for different reasons, but I do want to highlight that. Most of us, at least most of the undocumented people that I know, we have left our countries not necessarily because we wanted to, right? So it's important to recognize that um, migration sometimes, or most of the times, in my opinion, is not beautiful. Uh, migration is something necessary, and it's something that our families have to do. It's a risk that we take to find uh, new ways of living that you could benefit the current living persons but also the people that are coming after and i believe that you know everybody takes their own assessment but even if people are migrating just because of their own will it should not be criminalized whether it's um, something necessary or something that people uh, out of their own personal decision like 
No matter what, I believe that uh, migration should not be criminalized. All these new policies that have been adopted by the current administration, I feel like they have affected different communities. And however, I think it's important to recognize that all everything that's happening, recognizing that it's been happening also because the previous administration have been paving the, the way that this deportation machine is operating. So, I mean, with the Obama administration, right, like the that's, there's a reason why he was going the term um, deportation in chief, having deported the most people out of all the previous administrations. We cannot talk about like the previous laws without talking about the the. We cannot talk about the current laws that are being into place without talking about the previous laws that criminalize migration. So I think it's important to look into that. Like for example, the 1325, 1326, where they make a federal crime entering the country and re-entering the country. All of those laws that started to criminalize migration in a in another level. Those were really important things that have paved the way to like what's going on now with like the zero tolerance policy and all of that, right? So they have affected our communities in, like I said, in various ways. Here in Chicago, I feel like there's a lot more pressure. It has put more pressure on the administration, right? But like it also has made us realize that we need to enforce um, more, um, strengthen our policies uh, locally to protect the immigrant community and the black and brown communities. The rumors about raids happening in our communities, they really get to us. They definitely create fear in our communities, and I believe that's part of the strategy of like announcing this mass massive arrest, right? By I, uh, we in Ocar, we actually answer a hotline um, where we where people report ICE activity or they need help finding a loved one that has been recently detained by ICE. The hotline has like eight options. There's always information about um, the recent news from immigration, recent news about DACA, other but we answered the option number one and that's the one where you can report ICE activity or be supported in finding a, a loved one that has just been detained and we since the announcement of this um, raids like about two weeks ago we started getting a bunch of um, calls that were reporting um, alleged ICE activity in different areas, right? And our job is to verify them in person. Many of those two times that we went uh, and we spoke to people, we spoke to the, if it was like the CTA stations, we spoke to the personnel at the stations and we, we confirmed the information. I mean, most of the times we're not, nothing was verified, right? So, but at the same time, all of those reports and all of those, the fear mongering, all of that is definitely gets at people. And we got calls of people that were scared to go outside their houses, were, were scared to take their kids to school, to go to work. All those different things definitely get at us. And I feel for us, what we recommend, we should try to verify or cut the hotline so that people can verify, people that have been trained to verify information and ask for in the fear. In a time of panic, OCAD Act as an organization that calls for organizing to be happening in different neighborhoods. We have capacity to be organizing all across the city, right? But like, that's what it, this is about, about creating networks of support. We've been doing uh, Know Your Rights uh, community workshops. They're open to the public. And what OCAD does is provide training for them on how to like Migra Watch, Cap, Cap Watch, um, what to do when recording and an incident like this, how to responsibly um, share the video, right? People that are documented, what they can do to help undocumented people, um, you know, goes goes in different levels, I would say. Um, and it depends on the type of commitment that they want to take to 
protect their undocumented community, right? Definitely one thing, ego, it ranges, right? If you're in an instance where you're encountering ICE and things like that, um, maybe you're the person, the person that's documented is the person that's actually verbalizing the rights, like, oh, I'm not answering anything, we're not showing you any IDs, we're not collaborating with you, um, instead of leaving that to the person that's undocumented. But also, I mean, like I said, there's levels, right? Like undocumented people are gonna be definitely allies um, and we know that we need each other to to win this, this fight, right? Um, so definitely always connect with a local org and sometimes there's also like, they can accompany people to courts, they can accompany people to their check-ins and eyes. All of those things um, make a difference, right? When we're talking about deportation defense, that that involves a whole lot of things. OCA, the way that OCA keeps our community informed in different policies that are going on or you know, latest immigration news. It's, I would say, the more consistent way that we do that is through our community meetings. We have uh, assembleas or community assembleas every first and third um, Saturday of the month from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. But we always post the location on social media so you can always follow us there. Hey, guys, we're back. Um, we're here with Adrian. Oh, Sebastian. All right. And we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the difference between the life of a documented person and an undocumented person. So what I wanted to ask you guys was what kind of differences do you see when a person is documented and when they're undocumented? I think one big difference would be that um, someone who's documented doesn't worry about, like, going outside the way somebody else who doesn't have papers does yeah i get what you mean that's also like one of the things that i see a lot is that like well going out like you said is um it seems more challenging for someone who's undocumented they have to they seem to be like be more like cautious of what's going on Mm -hmm. compared to an undocumented or to a documented person who um doesn't really have to worry about much i mean with an undocumented person, they're like, oh, yeah, you have to be wary of who you're talking to, what kind of information you give to someone. Mm-hmm. And with an undocumented person, I guess I guess they, like, the only reason they might be afraid is if they have, like, undocumented family. And then in those cases, they might be afraid for the person who's undocumented, not necessarily for themselves. What do you think, Sebastian? I, I agree with you guys. Yeah, it's like... I mean, to be honest, it's pretty much, uh, you know, you could you could see it, like, undocumented people, like, they sort of have, like, they kind of got to be wary about, like, stuff they're doing, and, like, documented people, they don't really, you know, they don't really have to worry about really anything, because, you know, they got papers and all that. Documented people, they got to worry about, like, I guess, like, you know, who they're, like, like talking to, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, because... That could have like probably lead them to like their deportation like also trust i guess because you know that's basically you know that's that's what i think yeah and not only like with going out i guess there's also problems with like people getting like education going to like higher education so like mm-hmm. college stuff like that they have more trouble with that um or getting jobs like they're not able to go through and get every single job that they might want because well they can't get the education that's necessary to actually get the job that they want or that they need is there anything else you guys think about like 
people trying to like apply for things so like education or jobs i think it's harder for like people who are undocumented to get jobs kind of like in a way i guess like undocumented people like if even if they get jobs i think they kind of get exploited in a way like you know what i'm saying when when you say exploit you mean like they're being like being taken advantage of yeah they're being taken advantage of because they don't have like i guess you know doc like papers and all that right so you can't Mm -hmm. really do anything about it like you're not going to go to the cops right because then they're going to like investigate you and them and they're going to find out that you don't have like well you're not documented yeah yeah um and there's also cases where it's like traveling you like people who are undocumented don't travel as often just because well they can't they don't have the legal documentation like if they go somewhere else they're not going to be able to come back as easily and they might be afraid of even traveling like domestically like authorities in other areas like they might be stopped for something as simple as maybe like tail light or something without and it might lead to like something more serious like they might be deported stuff like that um i don't know like they're not they're they don't have the peace of mind that someone who's documented would have when they're traveling well, like, what do you mean by traveling, like, in other countries or what? Just other countries or yeah. just, like, in general, like, a domestic, like, you might be driving from, like, Chicago to, like, Wisconsin or somewhere outside of the state, but they don't have that peace of mind that someone who's documented has. Oh, yeah. And then, do you guys think that, like, what I was talking about before, like, more afraid for a person than they are for themselves? With, like, mixed status families, do you think this is always something that's true? I don't really know, to be honest. I think that's kind of true to an extent, because um, personally, my dad, he doesn't have papers. And he kind of once told me, like, if I didn't have kids or, or, like, a family really to, like, support, like, I could be living under, like, like under, like a, like, a highway. Like, I don't care, right? So I guess to him, like, to him it's important, and he thinks more about us than himself when it comes to this, because, like, he's, like, it's, like, if I get deported what's going to happen to my kids, right? Like, who's going to support mm-hmm. them? Where are they going to be at? Yeah. And I think that's a fear that a lot of people in, like, mixed-status families have, like, especially when it's, like, the kids are documented mm-hmm. and the parents aren't. Who's going to take care of our kids if something happens to us? And that's a thing, like, previously when Cynthia was talking, like, oh, yeah, there's the kids and their parents are gone. They don't know what's going on. And... It's because, well, they they might have not had a plan beforehand. And I think that, I guess, that's something important to have when there's, like, mixed-status families. They should have, like a, like, a plan B. Like, if we're gone, you know, you should do this or you should do that. You should go with this person. But in other cases where they don't have a plan, the kids are kind of just left in the dark to try and figure it out for themselves. And now, well, I talked with Joe Mora, a local artist. Um, We talked about his art and kind of like the life of a Latino or undocumented artist. And another thing was his one of his projects in collaboration with many other artists called the Undocumented Projects. And that was a good talk that we had. Um, I learned a lot. And now we're going to go into my audio piece with Joseph Mora on the Undocumented Projects. Art has always been a form of expression used by many to show feelings, concerns, 
thoughts, ideas, and much more about certain situations, moments, and experiences. Today, we present an interview with an emerging local artist who uses his work to portray concerning issues of the immigrant community, Joseph Josue Mora. He will be sharing his experience and how he started his art path. My name is Joseph Josue Mora. I am 25. I graduated um, in 2018, yeah, so like last year. And I am a artist, an educator. I, I teach art at a high school. I think since two, I would start it like officially around 2010 when I started Yorokali back in uh, when they were at 19th, uh, 18th and uh, Blue Island. Um, and then after that, I got really serious with making art and showing art. Um, and so yeah, so I think uh, officially as like, a, I think in a career way um, since 2010, but I think I've always been making since I was a baby, so. Joseph is a Latino artist, but where does he take inspiration from for his art? Is it from traditional Latino or Mexican art, or is it from other places? I, I would say it, it's very different. Um, it's not so distinctive to, to um, you know, Mexican la, Latino imagery. I do draw inspiration from, from situations and experiences that, that I've um, gone through that you know that it's not just my story but it's a story that involves a lot of people you know a lot of people do have the similar similar um, experience but it's, it's very different I, I use a lot of in my artwork right now I use a lot of art handling tools and supplies and ways of organizing the artwork and an art handler is also uh, a person who installs the artwork in galleries and museums so that people kind of take care of the artwork and make sure that it's safe on the wall or they put it up. That was also an, an occupation I had um, when I was in school, which has to be one of my favorite jobs. The handler is someone who installs the artwork in a gallery or museum and makes sure it's safe. So I, I use a lot of that in, in my artwork. And even though that's not, you know, tools and all that isn't really, doesn't have uh, significant imagery to Mexican or Latino culture, but I think um, the way I use my concepts, I think what, what I focus on more is the concept. I try to have a really strong concept and then use and try to portray that in a very abstract um, way so that people can, um, I like, always like to say, I like to have people meet me halfway in my artwork. I don't want to give you the answer right away. Um, I want people to dig deeper, you know, through their experiences or try to associate the, the, the sculpture or the imagery um, to their experiences with, with what they know about me. Joe, as many other people know him, has been working on a very specific project called the Undocumented Projects. Undocumented Projects is a collaborative group that um, that got created 
in response to the end of DACA and was it 2017 uh, in, on September. So that was a response to, to think about like how, how can we as artists, or like you know the group that, that, that came together, how, how can we as artists create a response and create projects that is not just artwork but can be a resource or a way of protesting through making artwork. So there are projects that, that in a way are very subtle protests, art interactive workshops, objects that, that, that definitely create a response to, to what's happening. I connect with it because I, I'm, I'm also undocumented. So, so when that happened, and, and because I'm also a DACA recipient, so when, when the cancellation of, of DACA happened, I didn't only think about myself, but I started to think about people who, who weren't able to get DACA yet, or the people who, you know, probably were just starting to apply or had their, their application already in, you know, what if they had gotten canceled? So I started to think about how great of an issue this was to, you know, the Latino community, but also like other communities of, of immigrants and so and so yeah so that that's I, I guess the way I re- related to it because it was so personal as well that 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 gave me that drive to you know call people and say hey let's get together and let's think about how to create a response to, to the situation aside from the undocumented projects, Joseph has participated in many other exhibitions in very distinctive venues, such as the Pilsen Outpost, the Chicago Art Department, the National Museum of Mexican Art, and the UIC's Gallery 400. Finally, in his uplifting career, he's currently very excited for his newest accomplishment. My favorite work that I'm making is the work that I'm doing currently. So yeah, so like I, I had a show at the Chicago Art Department and that was the work that I've been most excited about because it was the first time I was making outside of like an education system. So like not in the school setting, not for homework, not for a grade or for, for a test. It was kind of, it was making art on my own as an independent artist out like after I had graduated. And that was challenging and it was a lot of work and it was very different from what I've been making in the past in the past year. So I would have to say for me right now, that's the current work, which is from the clearance show. Hey guys, we're back, and don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Cali, in Little Village. My name is Emanuel. I'm Andrea. And we are back, 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 back at it again. But sadly, we have to departure. We have to say our goodbyes. We have to wrap up the first hour, Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> 
play insert little violin. <laughs> but don't you worry because did you forget this is a two hour special show titled Culture Across Borders. So we'll be back after a quick little song, a quick little station ID, back with more amazing interviews, audio pieces, and conversations about immigration. Guns close doors to the system, yeah. Come on, we say we're not with them. We're solid and we don't need to kick them. This is no southeast and western. Yeah, guns close doors to the system, yeah. Come on, we say we're not with them. We're solid and we don't need to kick them. Hey guys, we're back, and don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali, in Little Village. My name is Emanuel. I'm Andrea. And we are your amazing hosts. Hey, we made it to the second hour of Culture Across Borders. Woo! So, Andrea, we have something important to talk about. Girl, our parents, you know, they came together and they made us. So they're the most important thing in our lives. Where are your parents from, girl? Mm, this is a good question. Um, so whenever I tell people where my parents are from, um, they always think that I'm from like the city city. So my parents are from El Estado de Mexico. Um, and that's actually, whenever I say Estado de Mexico, people think, oh, from the DF. And I'm like, no, y'all need to understand that my, like, there's a whole land that surrounds um, like La Ciudad de Mexico. So La Ciudad de Mexico is one thing, but like there's a land that surrounds it. And no one knows it because it has this like super long name called El Estado de Mexico. And that's the, the state's capital is Toluca. So you might have heard of like Toluca. Um, I feel like that's a really common thing. They have really bomb chorizo there. My grandma lives there right now, but most of my family is from like a town that's like an hour away from there. Um, it's called Malinaltenango. Yep, it's a long name. <laughs> long name, long name. Um, and most of the people immigrated to Waukegan, so like that's the only, like only two places. No one lives in Chicago, actually, so it's kind of right. funny. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but where are your parents from? Well, my dad is from Juarez, and my mom is from Zacatecas, and they fell mm. in love in Texas. Mm. Yeah, so shout out to my mama. And we have some amazing special guests, so would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Cynthia. Hi, I'm Jennifer. What up, Jennifer? What up, Cynthia? Who else do we got in the building? I'm Adrian. What up, y'all? So, we're going to have a little conversation about Mexican pride. Wow! So who wants to start? Well, do we want to start off by saying where y'all y'all's family's from? Sure. Um, my mom is from Guerrero, and my dad is from Morelos, from Cuernavaca, Morelos. My mom comes from Michoacan, and um, my dad is from Guanajuato. Uh, my dad's from Guerrero, and then my mom was born here, but my grandparents are from Sinaloa and Durango. Oh, cool. So we're all coming from like all these like different like places, or I guess like our like, ties are like to some different places all around Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. But anyhow, we are going to talk a little bit about Mexican pride. So what does that mean to you, to anyone? I think for me, like taking pride in obviously like I was born here, but where my parents are from and the culture they've showed me, the traditions, uh, everything that comes with that and 
personally I am very prideful in that I am I go to school in Iowa so one of the first things that like everyone notices is I say my last name in Spanish um so they're always like where are you from and I'm like Chicago and they're like no where are you from but um, where are you really from where are you really from no I hate that Um, but yeah like I'm even there like I'm really prideful of being Latina and where my roots connect me to yeah I understand Mm -hmm. I think Mexican pride to me would mean that even though I am a U.S. citizen, I'm also taking pride in the fact that my parents are from Mexico, right? And I think something that's always um, stuck to me is, I don't know if you guys have ever heard, like, you know, we're too Mexican for the Americans and we're we're too American for the Mexicans, right? Yeah, that's like a Selena quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's just something that's always stuck on to me, but I think it is just me, like, being, like, proud, I guess, that I have both. And that um, I don't give too much to, like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, they're just equally, I love them both, you know? Yeah, like, if you were to go to Mexico, you it would feel quite right because it's still, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel, like, quite like home. So, like, your identity is challenged there, too, I guess. Yeah. To me, honestly, it's, like, I'm here, I'm from here. And even though I'm from here, just being proud of where my actual roots are from. Like, my parents are Mexican and... Even though I'm, I was born here, I have a connection to Mexico. Um, even, like, when I go to Mexico, I don't know. I don't feel out of place as much. I just feel in, like, you know, in the right area. I feel comfort being in Mexico and just being here, being around Latino people. It's kind of like you have best of both worlds. Like, neither aquí, neither allá, but, I mean, we still fit in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually feel different. Like, I feel like I don't fit in when I go to Mexico. I don't know if... Have y'all all been to Mexico? Mm-hmm. I've been to Mexico once, but I was six years old. Even at mm. six years old, I never really... I wasn't comfortable because, like, I kind of learned English more quickly than I did Spanish, right? Mm. So, like, in a way, I guess Spanish is my first language that I learned. But I remember, like, talking in English and then, like, all the people there would just kind of look at me like, What? You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think for me, it's like I go and then my cousins like talk so different than me, and they grow up there and everything. They speak so like differently, and they're not interested in the same things as me. And I think that being from like this background in a country where like, like I don't know, like the color of your skin or like the way that you speak Spanish or um, anything is like seen as outsiders, like different. Um, so I think when I go to Mexico, it surprises me that people don't feel different there you know like for them it's like their everyday reality and they can focus on other things but i think for like a lot of us we constantly um find ourselves kind of stuck in the middle and like there's a lot of like white um identities that are sometimes like you you can't see yourself because of those like different cultures and identities Mm, i get what you mean um i don't know i just like what i said like comfort i don't know like when i go these little like things stick to me like the little accents and everything like, it sticks to me even after I come back. I don't know. Maybe that's why I feel more comfort, just because I guess I can relate sometimes with my cousins there. I guess we like a lot of the same stuff, more like like sports and stuff like that, more general things. And I don't know, I, I just kind of adapt, mm-hmm. sort of, I guess, in a way, to life while I'm there. What about the food? Oh, the food. Oh, well, the food there, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> let me start. It's It's very cheap. And the thing is, is that it's still really good, you know? And I remember my first time, I remember this so well. 
I went to this place. I don't know what it's called, but the first thing I remember eating there once I got there was that I had like this torta and it had um, chorizo in it. But like the chorizo was so spicy, but it was really good. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. What about like, do y'all find like foods here that like remind you of like back home or like do you like American foods or? I don't know. I think right. there's this one cheese called queso cincho that just reminds me because it's like it comes like a lot of people in Guerrero make it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just reminds me a lot of Guerrero, just that cheese in general. Would you say that Little Village is mostly, like, people that are coming from Guerrero or, like, from what, um, like, like I feel area? like there's a lot more people from, like, Michoacan. Michoacan. Yeah, that's, like, a lot of people that I encounter. I ask them, like, oh, where are you from? Or, like, where are your parents from? And they're, like, oh, yeah, Michoacan. And I'm, like, mm. okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people from Michoacan that I see around. Do you think that, like, impacts, like, the food that's, like, available here and, like, what you have access to? I don't think so. No? No. Like, there's food from, like, all over, like, all different regions in Mexico. I feel, I feel, yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's just, like, it's mixed. Mm -hmm. What about, like, traditions and music? Like, um, for me, I know uh, there was, like, this meme once, and it was, like, being bilingual um, comes with the benefits of being able to listen to two types of music. And I, like, totally relate to that because um, one thing is growing up around my parents' music, but another thing is, like, actually going back and understanding and now, I guess, as a young adult, listening to it, too. So I don't know about you guys' background with music and, like, the traditions as well. Yeah, there's... Sometimes, like, I, I growing up, I think I was like, I don't want to listen to this. But now I'm like... What is it called? Um, there's like the, there's like different songs that like come up, like Juan Sebastian, like songs from Los Tigres del Norte, that like I'm like oh childhood, yeah, <laughs> um, and I feel more united to that. Like especially like at school, sometimes when I would feel like out of place, I would like play it, and it wasn't that like I grew up loving it, but I would play it and it made me feel like at home. Yeah, honestly, I I I'm kind of like you. I have kind of like mixed feelings on the music. Like I don't really like it. But when I'm in a place where I feel out of place, mm. it brings comfort. Yeah, that's so true. What yeah. about you, Cynthia? Yeah, um, well, the same thing, like, when I was at, um, at school. <clears throat> I think growing up as a child, like, I used to hate the music. My mom used to play Saturday mornings when she was cleaning. Because then I, I had to wake up early. Marco Antonio <laughs> Yeah, but, like, now when, now, now when I'm away at school... Um, that's what I would play when I would clean. So, I don't know. I think it's, like, a funny dynamic that, like, you grew up not hating it, but, like, it gives you certain memories, but as you grow older, you kind of bring that with you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what about, like, being, um, proud about, um, having a background of another country? What do you, what do you mean? I'm like, um, with proud of being a latina or latino like um do you guys like ever like rep where your parents are from from mexico not very often i don't know it's not really something that comes up i do it often um because because um my the region where my family's from you don't hear it that often so that's why i say it um and because i'm trying to like make sure people are aware of that um location because a lot of, like you said, like a lot of immigrants are coming from like Michoacan, 
um, like a lot of people are coming from like Durango and like I you don't really hear much about people coming for example from like places like Oaxaca like there are Veracruz shout out Charlie Oaxaca <laughs> um, but you don't really hear like a lot of these regions um, and like the region where my family's from that's where like less people immigrate from so I I want to highlight it you know mm-hmm. Um, what about like also being a voice to like our ancestors um like for instance for me uh my so my mom was born in Guerrero but she also grew up in Cuernavaca so like essentially both of my parents are from Cuernavaca um and recently I've seen like a lot of chinelos which is another traditional Mm. Mexican Mm -hmm. dance um and I feel like it's also important to like teach the younger generations what the chinelos represent and why we dance the way we do and with the type of um I guess costume that the chinelos wear so, do you want to explain what it is? Oh, like, God. and where it originates and how it, like, the history behind that? I don't exactly remember where it originated from. I want to say Tenochtitlan, if not Tepoztlan, one of those two. Um, so it was kind of, they were making fun of the British when they were... Um, the Spanish? In, the Spanish, sorry. <laughs> when they were invading Mexico, which is why they kind of have the beard and they, like, dance funny. They were mimicking them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is, like, it's kind of, like, I mean, it's mean, but now we still dance that to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also said to, like, scare them off. Scare them off. So they would yeah. go out at night and dance it. And it would kind of bring this fear into the people invading Mexico. So that's always been very interesting to me. But I feel like it's also important to be a, a voice for ancestors. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Um, I guess it's like it's just bringing old traditions into like a newer generation, like into the view of a newer generation, because if we don't do it, I guess they're going to get lost. Um, people aren't going to do it anymore. And like, I guess... Like, when we do, like, parades and stuff like that, I've seen, like, like you said, Los Chinelos. Or they'll bring, like, older, more traditional styles of, like, Mexican, Latino music. Or, like, the dresses and all of that. They'll do it like an, like an older generation, kind of like that kind of style. And yeah. I think that's Do you think important. people are losing their culture? I think it depends on how... Like, it's Little Village. Not really. I think people are, like, exposed to it so much whether you're from the older generation or from the newer generation, that people aren't really losing that sense mm. of, like, connection to their culture. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I... <clears throat> I also think that there, like, needs to be, like, way bigger conversation about, um, like, indigenous people, because, like, oftentimes, like, when we talk about, like, Latin America or, like, these, like... Um, like basically like just latin america in general like a lot of people don't talk about indigeneity and everything and it's not like those are people from the past those are people that continue to like live on like now um so that's also something to keep in mind with like culture and also keeping in mind that a lot of mexican culture derives from indigenous traditions and customs and what does that mean for people that don't have any connection to indigeneity now you know like what does it mean and like is there an avenue for people to be able to to go back and like retrace their roots and stuff or because like not everyone like there's different regions and not everyone is like Aztec the Aztec's not even like a real thing like you know like those are people that spoke Nahuatl and they continue to speak it to this day um there's communities that continue to speak it so then what does it mean for like people like like us where like I don't know as far as I know like a lot of us aren't um indigenous you know like what does it mean? Um, and then to have a bigger conversation. I guess, like, that could be a conversation we have at another point. But I just think it's, like, interesting. 
I guess, you know, I guess our, like, you said there's people who still speak the language of, like, regular, like, Aztec people. And well, there's no, like, Aztec was a name that was, like... Or, like, the Nahua, that's what Yeah, Nahua. Yeah. Like, that's the language, and that's, like, the people. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess with, like, us and speaking, like, Spanish, I guess we had more of an influence from the Spanish that came to us. Yeah. Compared to, like, those people who managed to, like, stay away from that kind of, like... Yeah. Um, or pushed out or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think overall, like, it's really important to be proud of where you come from. Even if it's not Mexico, you know, people come from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sh- you should be proud of your culture and your traditions because you get to share that with others and others get to learn from you. Yeah. Um, and I think with that, we'll go right into Emmanuel's audio piece. I really liked this audio piece, so I hope everyone's excited to hear it. And we'll be right back. When you're a Mexican immigrant coming into America, you're leaving everything behind. Family, friends, pets, your homeland, and completely changing the plan for your future. However, something that you never lose is your culture. And one of the biggest parts of culture is food. When always exposed to hot dogs and hamburgers, one would nostalgate their own authentic delicacies. And being that food is everybody's weak spot, it is imperative that it is dragged by its weave into our new communities. So I went out and asked Little Village locals their opinion on food. And it's recording and we're live. Hello, ma'am. Could you please tell me your name, age, and community? My name is Hanan Hanafi. I am 33 years old and I live in Berwyn. And could you please tell me the type of food that you eat? Mm, right now I'm eating oatmeal because I was really hungry, but I would normally be eating some chilaquiles. So where do you typically find or shop for your delicacies? I like to eat out a lot, and I know I shouldn't. When I grocery shop, I do like Tony's. I do Trader Joe's once in a while. So why do you enjoy this type of food? Mm, it's just so flavorful. I love the spiciness, the variety. Mm-hmm. I don't like bland food. Could you tell me if um, you're an immigrant and maybe a bit of your family story? Oh, I, I was born here in Chicago, um, but my mother is from Mexico City, and then my father is from Cairo, Egypt. So they're both immigrants to Chicago. And what food did you typically eat growing up, or what food did your parents prepare? We had a lot of, we had a big mix of foods at home, because my parents are um, so it was mixed, but we there was a lot of similarities in like Egyptian food and Mexican food. And what role do you think food plays in your life? Everything, like survival. I just I really enjoy food. I don't know, like like it's a necessity. Yeah, we gotta eat out of hunger, but I like to eat like tasty food too. Uh, my name is Arturo Presan. I am 40 years old, and I come from Mexico City. What type of food do you usually eat? I normally eat vegetarian food. Really eat meat. Most of them is usually home cooked. And where do you usually like shop or find the type of food? The supermarket. <laughs> Produce from Pete's, all the other things from Aldi's. And by any chance, are you an immigrant? I'm an immigrant. What type of things did you eat growing up? Ooh, I ate, I always say this the quality of food in Mexico, at least on my experience, is infinitely better. Like even just the produce and the fruits are just like 
like the, the, the flavor here pales in comparison to when you get I don't know sometimes even just banana or a watermelon it's just like the fruit in Mexico tastes like it explodes in your mouth and here it's a little bit like sad <laughs> like sometimes it's like it just doesn't have the like the flavor and what role does food play in your life? sustenance I try not to see it as a reward or or something to do it's just like food is just sustenance uh, but that's just me because I'm kind of crazy and what impact do you think Mexican food has on Chicago? they say it's, uh, it's how you get into the heart of the people uh, Mexican food is probably one of the most uh, sophisticated cuisines in the world I mean yes we get, we get here just a little fraction of it and even just that little fraction is so vast that I mean salsa has become also one of the top condiments going over ketchup so I guess that is very important it's it's also a consolidating thing of like like in the end food is gonna gonna glue communities Maria little village and uh, what type of food do you eat Mexican food tacos rice pozole menudo tamales and where do you typically find or shop for your food? Local grocery stores around the neighborhood. La Chiquita, El Indio. Um, and why do you enjoy that kind of food? Because I was born and raised with it, so I gotta eat spicy food too. So. And by any chance, are you an immigrant? Yes. And what role does food play in your life? I have to eat to live, so an important role It's survival. What impact do you think immigrant food um, plays coming into the community? It's hard to say because the food coming from Mexico, like right now, it's so expensive here. It's an important role, but I think it's overpriced sometimes. If my mom was here, she would grow it in the backyard. She would have tomatoes, chiles, uh, a bunch of other things. I'm just too lazy to grow it. I'm, I'm not a green thumb, but uh, she would grow all that stuff. Why do you think that a bunch of immigrants coming into Chicago and Little Village and Pilsen choose to just eat what they know? Because that's how we were born like eating. We're just used to eating that food. I mean, we can be adventurous and try new foods, but we just like to eat what we know. And it's our comfort food. So. I'm Marilyn, I'm 11, and I live in and what type of food do you typically eat? Typically eat um, a lot of like, tacos, eggs. But why do you enjoy that type of food? I enjoy it because it's different and it's homemade and I don't know, it feels like home. And what impact do you think immigrant food, specifically Mexican food, has on Chicago? It has impact by like a lot of people trying different foods, um, specifically like, like Mexican traditions and trying Thank you so much, Mimi. It was a pleasure. My name is Charlie Garcia, and I live in Bridgeport, in the south side of Chicago. And what type of food do you eat? I consider myself as a foodie. I can try and I can eat anything. I mean, I'm a vegetarian as well. I mean, I, I can eat cheese or I can eat eggs. So, yeah. And where do you typically find or shop the type of food that you eat? I'm very lucky to have a, a market around the area that's uh, Sermos Produce. You can find any Asian ingredients, Middle East ingredients, you can find Mexican stuff, 
America, you can find anything. So you have many options to, to cook or to eat there. And why do you enjoy this food? I like to try different styles. I like to try different flavors, try new, new stuff. Mexican food is great, but sometimes you need to try new ingredients. So you can have to try new flavors. And by any chance, are you an immigrant? I am the first immigrant in my family. And I'm the only one living in the United States. So I don't have any family members in the United States. Just my wife, Stephanie, and consider my family her family. And what type of food did you eat growing up? Growing up, I was eating food from my mom, from Oaxaca. And I, and I always say this, Oaxacan food is like 80% vegetarian. So that's why for me it's like a natural to not eat meat. And also in Oaxaca, in that region, which is from the mountains, they just kill an animal because they need it. And once they kill one animal, they share with everybody. They used to do that uh, every once a month or every two weeks. Now it's totally different because, you know, technology, the markets, and they have access to everything. Um, and what impact do you think immigrant food and specifically Mexican food has on the community? Super important. The impact is if you go to Wicker Park, you go to Lincoln Park, those kind of prestigious, uh, I mean, or expensive neighborhoods, you can eat a taco for five, six bucks, or you can eat a salad, a Mexican salad, or, or Latino salad for 11, 12 bucks, when you can at home make that salad with three bucks. Or you can make a taco, you can make a, a huge cacerola of food for 10 bucks. Mexican food is super important in, in Chicago because it's part it's already part of Chicago, I and mean, and somebody comes to Chicago, they're always looking for Mexican food because they you know I have a couple of friends living in New York, in Los Angeles, and another uh, even from Mexico. Sometimes they visit me, and they always say the the Chicago food, the Mexican Chicago food, is the most authentic food in the United States. In the end. After asking many people, I realized that in a city full of different cultures, religions, music, and art, that food can help people explore and try new things. It brings back memories and nostalgia, and that food is the key to the heart and my stomach. Arizona blues no more. Arizona rest no more We want freedom to cross Cross the borderline Freedom's no crime Let peaceful river flow Let the people come and go We want freedom to cross Freedom to pass The everlasting Arizona blues Bloody, bloody border No more Arizona rest Hey y'all, we're back, and don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yo Locali in Little Village. My name is Emanuel. I'm Andrea. And we yeah. are... 
<laughs> Say it again, honey. I said, and I'm Cynthia. Hey, what up, Cynthia and Andrea? We're back at the second hour of Culture Across Borders. Wow. So y'all just had a little break from our voices, but we're back. Back. And now we're going to talk a little bit about... Um, we just ended our conversation talking about Mexican pride, but we're going to continue that and talk a bit more about music, dance, and food. So... We'll talk about food because that's just what was playing right now. So you guys just heard an audio piece that I made um, called uh, Food in the Hood. I made that name up just right now. Um, and I just pretty much went around and interviewed people that were walking around in Little Village. And I asked them questions about food, being an immigrant, and what food means to them. Mm. So what y'all think? I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, too. Kind of got me hungry, but you know, that's fine. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what would you guys say is your favorite Mexican food? If you had to choose one dish for the rest of your life. Every time I go to a Mexican restaurant, I order a torta de asada con todo with the sangria. Boom. Um, I really like anything that has, like, um, it's, like, a variation of, like, a sope or a gordita. So, like, with masa and, like, frijol, like, anything of that sort. So, like, the gorditas or like sopes or there's huaraches like the like all these different foods are so good i could live off of that my whole entire life i really like um enchiladas like i could i freaking love enchiladas like so much um but aside from that one of my favorite is also tamales but like mm. my mama's tamales not anyone else's tamales how about my mom's tamales i've never had them Gotta bring my, mom, <laughs> my mom doesn't know how to make them. My oh, mom doesn't uh-huh. either. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of hard. Like, I don't know. My mom was also, like, the youngest of her family out of, like, nine. No, I'm sorry. Like, 10, 11 like, Oh, God. Kids. So she got, like, literally what was left. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I feel like the older girls, like, know how to do it. But, yeah. like, she didn't really, yeah. like, my mom. My mom, I think, is, like, the third born out of, like, 10. So she got... She's the first girl. Oh, yeah. So she, that's, that's what, yeah. yeah. Oh, she yeah. knows how to make, like, everything that my yeah. family needs to make. Best believe. Yep. I'm sure she had to, like, clean everything up. Mm-hmm. And, oh. She was, like, everybody's mama. Such a gender society. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And What like, about, wait, did everyone say their favorite food? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. But preferably, I enjoy my torta with, um, I like when they make it with mayonnaise and put jalapenos mm-hmm. in it. So good. What about just, like, I just thought y'all should know that. Oh, what about like you, drinks? You. Like I love horchata. I actually like whenever I order order horchata or actually whenever I go to a restaurant, I don't usually order horchata because I like Jamaica butter. I think it's also uh, healthier for you. Why? Horchata is just milk. Horchata <laughs> is just milk, and most it's of us are lactose intolerant. Oh most God. of us are lactose intolerant anyway. I don't so, taste milk. You it has very obviously not tasting like milk, but it tastes kind of like cinnamon. Girl. And yeah, it's really? rice water with cinnamon. Okay, but it has milk in Go it. Go to the food doctor, baby. You need your, <laughs> your taste buds checked out. It has dairy. Y'all can't even tell me no. How about you and me? Favorite drink? I said that's sangria. sangria. Oh, sorry. I like carbonated beverages. For real? Um, I like... So, uh, once I went to a Burberry store and I was like <laughs> acting all rich and they were like, would you like some sparkling water? I said, yes, bring it out this instant, please. So I, I like, you um, tried it. Whatever is bougier. What? The, the sparkling water. water. The what? The sparkling, sparkling water? water. That's like, um, I'm not going to go into it, but I just think it doesn't have any like flavor. Some of them do, but some of them don't. Okay. Like LaCroix? How did you, yeah, like, how, how did LaCroix? you like it? Because it doesn't have any flavor. Sparkling water? It's just... 
It's just about the experience. It's sparkling. <laughs> it makes it's you feel good inside. It's I know. It's about the experience in the store, okay? Exactly. Water aside. It's about the free glass bottle I get after so I could store my my tap water in. Interesting. After and use it as a cup. Hmm. So what foods do you guys really enjoy um, in the community? So I know we talked about our favorite places, but um, is there any other places you guys like to go and eat out um, in Little Village or anything like that? So like, I I know there's like a dude, uh, Raspado um, stand, (laughs) and he's like on 26th Street. He's right in front of La Chiquita. And whenever I think of Raspados, I always think of that dude because he makes really good Raspados. And I think that's like a super like summer staple here in the community, like people with um food vendors on the streets i think that's like so i'm not i'm not from here um get her out of here no (laughs) she's not even from she doesn't even go oh my god stop we've been knowing this i'm from waukegan uh which is like really close to wisconsin if anyone's interested um but (laughs) um i was gonna say that i've been to like a tortonilco and i've been to el milagro um, I don't know. Like, I think that a super like little village thing is like Los Gallos versus a Totonilco, and like yes. which one is better. I haven't better. been there. I love Gallos. Like I personally have always loved Los Gallos. Where is that at? Like it's I don't... like on Killer in like twenty six. Where it at? It's like on the other end of Little Village. Okay, yeah. start with you're looking at what end? <laughs> Remember, she's not from here. You have to she's tell me from, from where your local is at. If I turn left or if I turn right. Uh, left. Okay. They're both there. Think what? <laughs> oh, you're right. Well, I know where Atotonilco is at. Atotonilco. Say it. Yeah. It's hard. I've heard people. I've also heard that people call it totos. Maybe because it's harder to say. It's Atotonilco. No. 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 It's hard. It's like a baby. It's hard. No. People have different linguistic capabilities. And have you guys ever tried the different atotonilcos in uh, Little Village? Like, I know there's one, like, by... Um, by the Ark, no? Yeah, uh-huh, by uh, Mi Tierra. Um, and I don't know if there's any other ones, but the one by Mi Tierra, isn't that where, like, the whole sign fell off one day? <laughs> like, during a storm, there was, like, a whole news reporting about, like, a huge sign from atotonilco that fell off. No, I've only been to the one here, so... I wouldn't know. It's still in Little Village. Well, just let's wrap up this food talk. But pretty much, I wanted to make my audio piece to talk about, um, like, exactly like I said in the intro, the outro. I think that um, Mexican food is, like, something super staple here in Chicago and, like, in Little Village, obviously, because this is, like, a primarily Mexican um, community. And I, I just wanted to, like, talk about, like, the reasoning why we eat Mexican. This is going to sound like, why do we, whatever. But, like, I I think the reason that, like, when in, when when people come from Mexico here, like, you don't, not that you don't know better, but you don't know nothing better than what you grew up with. And it's, like, comfort food, and it it's food full of nostalgia and memories and um, things that just, like, that hit home. So that, yeah, that's yeah, why I think food is something super important in the community, whether it's at a restaurant, at a grocery store, or your mama making it for you in the kitchen. Yeah, that's deep. That was, yeah, like me being away at school, we found a store that you need to drive 10 minutes just for Mexican food. and But exactly like you said, it's the nostalgia, it's the food. Whenever I'm homesick, that's where I go. And honestly, it's like just the feeling of the store and of the food. Right. Um. So now we're going to go into... um an audio piece that you made, Cynthia, about dance. So before we get into that, why did you make that dance audio piece? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think dance also plays a big role in, you know, um, showcasing our culture to other 
to other people, to other cultures, um, and kind of showing, I believe dance also tells a story. And it's also important to showcase all of that now, kind of in the political climate that we have going on. So um, it was really fun. I interviewed my sister and yeah. So let's get right into that and hopefully you guys enjoy. Don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali and Little Village and we'll be right back. Throughout these challenging times in our country, there is one language that everyone understands, and that is the language of dance. One of the things that migrants bring with them to this country is their culture, and an important part of that is their traditional dances. I interviewed my sister on the important role she believes that folkloric dance plays in the world. I am from Little Village. I actually perform folkloric dance which is a traditional Mexican dance. I started dancing when I was five years old. I got into dance because both my older sister and my cousin were dancing. I remember just going to practices and watching them endlessly, both practice and perform. So by the time that it was my turn or they called me up to dance, I am very much a visual learner, so I kind of just naturally picked it up. Dance and music itself are so powerful. Um, I have connected with people from all over Chicago through dance. I have an extensive background of not only folkloric but other styles of dance and I have been able to connect with older people, younger people, with different cultures and it's just dance is so powerful and moving. I just I think it brings everyone together. Folkloric dance in particular and being a native of Little Village, it connects everyone together because we are a Mexican-American community. We're able to connect with our roots through dance, through our traditional dances like um, Jalisco, that is usually what every mariachi plays. The role that it plays, I believe, is just for us to stay grounded and rooted to Mexico. We are so far from it, and being a second-generation Mexican-American, we forget. There's sometimes that people even forget the language, or they don't speak it anymore. Their parents don't pass it down, and I feel like it is very important to be rooted to your culture, specifically dance, because it definitely brings you back to a place in your life where you're no longer there. It definitely does empower people, especially being a Mexican-American. I feel very empowered dancing because it is my culture. It is my parents' roots. And I feel like I'm so proud of being Mexican when I am dancing. And it is such a beautiful culture, rich in songs and dance and history. And I feel like it's just, it's a blessing to be able to dance and to be able to showcase it to the world. My favorite dance would be La Danza de los Concheros or Danza de los Aztecas. And on your ankles, you usually wear these shells, like um, shells, nutshells. And, you know, it, it's like an accessory, basically. But the music you create while you're dancing with your bare feet is so beautiful and it connects to everything. And I believe that Concheros is a dance to the gods, praising them for the crops and the rain. It takes you back to a time where obviously we weren't here, but we get to appreciate what our ancestors did and how 
they express their gratitude. I think dance teaches people to come together. I feel like dance and music itself is a universal language. There's always going to be music and dance moves that make people want to come together. And I feel like that is the most beautiful thing that dance and music can do for just for humankind. I mean, there's so much violence out there that I feel like music can bring anyone together. I think the importance of dance is just passing down your tradition because dance holds a lot of history within itself. Like I said, Concheros, it, you know, it's definitely a dance praising the gods. So we obviously wouldn't know of that if our dances and music were not passed down generation to generation. I believe that we have to teach our younger generations where we come from, our roots, especially now in a world where we're very, very divided. I feel like we have to instill that and be proud of where we come from and who we are. Convey that message very loud and clear to our younger generations that you have to be a proud Mexican and it is a beautiful thing. I feel like because of the person we have appointed president, because of all the controversy around that, our traditions and not only our Mexican traditions, but everyone else's traditions should stay alive. And dance is one of the most beautiful and most powerful ways of conveying our traditions, our faith, and our beliefs. You showcase your culture and tradition, but it's also nice when you open it up to the public for questions. I also was in a group called Flor de Piel, and we went to Milwaukee ones to a school, and they're very art-oriented, but it was predominantly white students. And we had a Q&A after. The kids were so intrigued, so fascinated, and they wanted to know how and where this originated. And I feel like once you get people interested and you teach them about your culture and you allow them to either have a one-on-one -on -one class or an open class where they can come and learn, I think that brings everyone together and it makes everyone just appreciate the culture a little more. I have been blessed to be able to learn many styles of dance. Bolivian, I've even danced. Uh, flamenco, which is from Spain. I have come into contact with a lot of people, both Bolivian people. I have danced footwork and jazz, and I have been able to appreciate other cultures and people and communities as a whole. So I do definitely feel that dance and music are a big part of the immigrants and immigrant communities coming together. Right now, I feel like we just have to solidify and be one, and we can definitely help each other and make a big impact if we work together. Hey guys, what's up? Don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali, in Little Village. My name is Emmanuel. And I'm Cynthia. What up, Cynthia? <laughs> and um, Andrea has uh, stepped off the mic for a little bit because, yeah, technical difficulties. Um, and by that, I mean she smashed her thumb in between the headphones. Um, so we just heard an amazing audio piece about fo um, folkloric dance by Cynthia. How was that? Um, it was really fun to record. Um, I interviewed my sister, and I had never, like, worked with my sister before, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so... I also heard um, bajarito medijo, okay, um, that, <laughs> that you are also, you, you do folkloric dance. Is that true? Yeah. So um, 
I'm the youngest of three girls, and my sisters have danced since they were really, really, really small. So, like, ever since I was in my mom's stomach, they were dancing. But I didn't start dancing until I was about, I believe, 16. So I've only been dancing for about four years. How about you, Ami? Me? Well, um, I'm a veteran. Um, I've been dancing. <laughs> <You're> retired. Sin- <laughs> Uh-uh, not yet, but I have been thinking of uh, retiration. But um, okay. I I started dancing about eight, nine, ten years ago, something around there. That's a, like such a huge range. <laughs> um, but like yeah, I've been dancing for at least eight to nine years. Um, I dance with a dance group called Bailafuerico Sochil. Um, they're in Little Village, and we started at here in the Boys and Girls Club, right underneath in the basement of Studio Y. That's Ooh. so crazy that I was dancing before I was up here in Studio Y. I'm doing something completely different. But, yeah, I started doing folkloric dance because um, my mom got into it, and I um, I really wanted to do it with her. So I started that, and ever since then, I've just like been loving... You know, being able to uh, spread and show our culture to people that might um, already know what folkloric dance is and people that also don't. So, I, yeah, I enjoy doing performances in downtown, here in the community, um, maybe outside of Chicago, uh, like two hours away, like in parades too. Like, I just really enjoy the art form of folklorico and being able to wear all the different outfits for the different um, parts of Mexico, being able to learn all the different choreographies, and it's something that I really do enjoy. Yeah, I think um, a really big part is also, like, learning. Yeah, obviously you learn the dance, but I feel like the teachers always make it a point to, like, give you the history of what you're dancing and why the dance came about. And I think that's also, like, a very interesting part. I think that's, like, yeah, I love learning the dances, but, like, I love also, like, just sitting down in the studio and listening to the explanation of, you know, why we're dancing, what we're dancing, and even, like, the clothes, down to the clothes, why we're wearing specific things for specific dances. I think that's also very interesting and something that um, I really enjoy and why I love dancing. Exactly, because a lot, unlike a lot of, like, no need to bash, but unlike things, you know, like, I'm just, like maybe hip-hop or other more modern dances um, that... They do have history, but not, like, a long history. Folkloric dance is something that, like, has a lot of history going back to, like, you know, where our parents are from and even before that. And um, there's, like, a lot of, like, traditions that are mixed into it, a lot of stories and folklore, which is folklore. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, like, an art form that's really beautiful. And, again, like, it's mainly known for, I would say, Jalisco, which is, like, yeah, the primary, think, like, yeah. um, big, folkloric, um, colorful dresses on the... Um, With, like, I think also because, like, usually that's what um, Jalisco mariachi tends to accompany. Yes. So. so, like, yeah, for sure. The charro. Yeah. With the china. So, that was dance. And now, um, Andrea is back to spit on the mic. <laughs> and Andrea is back from her little break and would you like to introduce the next audio piece hi my name is andrea and yeah this next audio piece i uh it's basically just like my thoughts um and a couple like different like audio things going on and i basically wanted to focus on like immigration but like rethinking the terms that we commonly hear so for example um the idea that um kind of like when the trump era like trump was doing his campaign there was, um, I guess, like an alternative way of like rethinking like what he was saying. So he would say like, "Make America great again," um, and then people would be like, "Immigrants make America great." 
but it's forgetting a lot of people. So it goes along those lines, and we'll just let the audio piece talk for itself. So we'll be back right, right. We'll be right back, guys, and hopefully you enjoy. When we talk about migration, there are some narratives that are quite dangerous. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. And no, I'm not talking about those comments. Let's not waste our energy talking about that because we already know those are problematic. Also, not every immigrant is from Mexico. Let's just make that clear. I'm talking about the other comments, the ones that politicians, advocates, and even immigrants themselves use. Immigrants make America great. We saw this happening a lot with the Trump campaign. It was an anti-Trump kind of sentiment. The thing about this statement, though, is that America is not made up of mostly immigrants. Let me take it back a bit. We need to remember that the U.S. is built on stolen land. When white people came here, they killed and raped indigenous people. Even the land that we are on right now belonged to an indigenous group. A statement like this erases that history of colonialism. Indigenous people still suffer the trauma of the colonial past. Statements that elevate immigrants, while they might seem harmless, can also erase the people that were originally here. When we say immigrants make America great, it also erases the history of slavery. The U.S. was built on stolen land and on the backs of enslaved people. Immigrants, we get the job done. Immigrants get the job done. When people think of this statement, they might not think much of it. We're getting the job done, after all. What job are we talking about? When we think about immigrants, we often refer to them as being skilled laborers and working these backbreaking jobs. Immigrants can do more than that. Oftentimes, people think that it's productive to say things like, Without immigrants, who would work the field? Who would pick our food? Who would clean our car? Who would take care of my kids? And that's not productive. Immigrants are much more than that. Just like people are much more than what their occupation says they are. They have more to give than just their labor. That brings me to the next point. Immigrants create more jobs than they take. Immigrants create more jobs than they take. Immigrants create more jobs Immigrants than they take. Immigrants bring in Immig- so Immig- much money. Immig- Immigrants- so, is that the only thing that makes them Immig- valuable? Immig- of course not. So let's stop placing monetary value on immigrants. Ask yourself this. Do we ever mention how much white people bring in? No. We are so accustomed to just seeing them as people. What about someone that doesn't have the ability to work? We should also remind ourselves to not use that as a reasoning to explain why immigrants should be able to stay in this country. How about if we think beyond that? And then DACA, the Deferred Action for Children Arrivals. Not everyone has DACA. And this is important because people without DACA still have challenges that they need to overcome. They are still unable to exist safely, so we should not look to DACA as a solution to everything. The problem with DACA is also that it criminalizes parents because it is based off of the premise that the children are not responsible for their actions. That's why no comprehensive immigration reform for parents has been able to pass. Let's also remind ourselves that DACA is a way for the U.S. government to keep note of those that need it. 
The government already does little to nothing to protect the rights of undocumented people. And now they have information about those that are most vulnerable. Who's to say that this information can't be given to ICE, especially in this administration? Let's demand more from our government and this country and for ourselves. Let's rethink immigration. Let's be critical of the status quo and believe in change. Let's hope. We're back and you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from Studio Y Yolokali in Little Village. And my name is Emmanuel. And I'm Cynthia. And I'm Andrea. And we are back after Andrea's amazing audio piece. What was it titled again? Rethinking Immigration. Rethinking mm-hmm. Immigration. You did super well. It was super well thought out. And I loved like the technical editing that went into it. It was super I like great sounding. That. I appreciate that. Cynthia, yeah. what did you think of her audio very, piece? Very, very creative. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What about it was creative? Um, I think like the playing with the sounds, I believe you used, it was just your voice, right? It was just my voice. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't think I would have ever... I probably would have asked someone else for their voice, but, I mean, you did it fine with the effects and everything. I did it just fine. And what did you think about the message that she was trying to... I mean, I think it was really important, especially with, um, you know, the show overall. And it was good that we got to hear it, and I think it was very well explained. Um, Cool. So we want to just wrap it up over here. Um, Thank you all so much for listening to us. Two hours. (laughs) <laughs> Sad that we have to go. It's the world's smallest violin. <laughs> <laughs> but sadly, it's our time to say goodbye. I want to give a shout out to all of y'all that stayed tuned to the two-hour amazing culture across borders. Um, just again, you guys heard a bunch of amazing interviews with amazing uh, community people, local people. Um, we talked all about being Mexican, our rights. Being, being proud, proud to be an immigrant and the amazingness that um, we everyone should love each other on this planet. Yes. Once again, let's say our names. My name's Emmanuel. I'm Andrea. I'm Cynthia. I'm Adrian. I'm Jennifer. I'm Sebastian. And we got Jerry over here helping us with the mics and the production. Hey! So once again, you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali, and Little Village. And this was Culture Across Borders. Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. In the meantime, we'll be working on the next one here in Lumpin Radio. So stay tuned to our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, astonishing, highly amazing broadcast. I hope that you are informed about the awesome parts of life and that you will have a splendid day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at yolokaliartsreach.org for more. 
Oh, my God.